Welcome to Comfortably Uncomfortable, Not Another Running Story. Thanks for joining us. We don't do small talk here. When we get outside and slightly uncomfortable, we get real, and we aim to continue these conversations here on this podcast. My name is Megan Fanning, and I'm the owner of Zendurance Now Coaching, and I'm joined by Sean Meehan, one of our coaches. Let's talk, let's get uncomfortable, and let's see where the conversation goes. The information in this podcast represents the views and opinions of Zendurance Now only. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice or treatment. We may be right, we may be wrong. Either way, be a solid human. If you're thinking about making a questionable decision, please seek out a qualified medical or psychological professional. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Meg. How are you doing today? I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Um, we have a fun podcast to to do today, and um, I got a nice I got a nice workout in this morning. Although I learned a really good lesson, I tried to I tried to walk on the treadmill this morning, and I've been walking outside. I still I still can't run, uh, but I you know I just walked just a little bit on the treadmill and. When I was done, I didn't notice this during, but when I was done, it really hurt my foot. Like the the top of my ankle, it really caused like a pinching feeling. And I think that when I'm outside, I I just somehow I, I'm more connected to my stride and how I'm stepping and how I'm moving. And I think the treadmill forced something. So um so I'm crossing the treadmill off the list. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that again for a while because it kinda hurts. Well, the treadmill is in constant motion, right? So I bet you if you were to be using um, one of the self-propelled treadmills, yep. mm-hmm. I don't think that yeah. would be an issue. But the fact that you're putting your foot down on something that's moving automatically causes a jarring sensation. Yeah, and it's just it feels like impinged or pinched. So lesson learned. Oh. You, could, you could try doing it on a, instead of doing it flat or on an incline, doing it on a decline and that might be less of an impingement on your ankle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice enough outside. I could have just gone outside, but I have the foot pod for Zwift Mm -hmm. and I never really use it. So I was like, Oh, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll just walk, uh, you know, walk a few miles on Zwift and see how it feels. Nope. Not going to do that anymore. I mean, there's no excuse not to be outside for me right now. So. Right. Live and learn. And, and so I'm, I was on the treadmill and, um, one of the Rocky songs came on, uh, by survivor. Which one? <laughs> Hold on. Burning heart. Yeah. That's from Rocky. Okay. Four. Yes. And it totally, the thing is, since we did the, since we did the music podcast, anytime I hear one of those like eighties montage workout songs, I always think of you and I almost, I almost texted it to you, <laughs> like, but it's, but it's every, it's every song I hear now. I feel like, like you're in my brain and you own it. So, so anyway, so I thought of you, I thought of you on the treadmill this morning as I was impinging, impinging my <laughs> ankle, but so motivated and so driven. And I felt like, was that the one with Rocky when he was like working out in the cold up at the barn. Yeah, that was yep. me this morning. That's, and that's the Siberian one, yeah. Yeah, somebody had me from the ankles, right? I was hanging out the window doing my core. <laughs> <laughs> I was punching like frozen meat. I was doing all in my mind. In my mind, that's what I was doing. 
running, <laughs> in my head. Run out in my snow, head. Snow-capped peaks, <laughs> yeah. deep snow, carrying a log on your back. Yeah, in reality, I was on my treadmill in the basement with a foot pod walking to Zwift. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I just realized that giant disconnect. Um, but anyway, the point being, you you seem to own all those songs in my brain now. So I can't I can't hear that and, and not think of you. It's good to know that I own space in your brain, Megan. I know, right? right? I, hope I, I hope I don't have to pay rent. We could, we could, we could figure something out. So, so what is the topic today, Megan? I believe it was a user or a listener submitted topic. Yeah. John suggested this, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. It was John Enos. Okay. So, um, mental health and, and fitness, which I thought, I thought was a great idea because there's, there's so much, there's so much we can talk about, but it it has been uh for me it's literally my life's work to to connect mind and body and i've worked really hard to do this and so right now i'm working as a paramedic and i'm also working as a counseling therapist because and and i'm so i'm working these two jobs in addition to you know in addition to zendurance now and in this podcast that we do and a few other things that i do on the side Um, but we have to connect mind and body. And I am frustrated on a daily basis, both, um, you know, in the medical work that I do and in the psychological work that it's just, they're viewed as two different entities and, and it's not, we are, we are absolutely one. And what's happening, you know, what's happening in, in your big toe is going to affect what's going on in your brain and, and vice versa. It, it, we, but we seem to forget that we don't, we don't really function like that. Yeah. I think the, in recent years, there has been a bigger push to draw that correlation to, um, to prove that correlation with like the scientific method than there has been in a lot of mm-hmm. years, right? Like, it's it's hard to it's hard to quantify that connection and how that is made and how that is uh, interpreted, right? Like um, Tim Noakes like had some like really great system of belief and start and really kind of started that trend. Central the, governor theory. Yeah, with the exactly uh, with the CNG, um, and kind of started that trend and then other scientists have kind of pushed it in a different way or have taken that and expanded upon it and um, really tried to try to apply the scientific method and quantify or get some some solid data around that. I think one of the reasons we're talking about this um not, just not not just you and me, but society as a whole. People, I mean, we're we're both in our forties, and I say the younger generation, so um, so people younger than us, um, 
younger generation has really started to take the stigma away from mental illness and addiction. And I love, I love, and I say that the kids, you know, that these kids, you know, people in their, you know, people in their twenties and people in their teens are talking about this and, and my kids talk about it. And, you know, I hear it all the time. I mean, so many young athletes, um, you know, taking breaks, just because, and they're like, well, you know, um, yeah, I'm suffering from depression and anxiety or, or mental illness, you know, wh- whatever it be, or, you know, dealing with addiction. But I think our generation, we didn't really, we didn't talk about this stuff. <laughs> and both you and I grew up in, you know, Irish Catholic households. So there's, you know, there's also a, um, you know, that component to it. But I, I'm really impressed on a daily basis, just you know, some of the things I hear my kids say, and, you know, my younger athletes, I hear them talking and they have no shame. And I'm, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. And I wish that, I wish that I had grown up that way. It took me a long time to get really comfortable talking about this. Um, I, I mean, I'm comfortable talking about it from an intellectual standpoint, just cause I've studied it for so long, you know, I have my bachelor's and my master's and, and education, you know, past that. But from a personal standpoint, I'm still really hesitant, you know, to disclose a lot of times what's going on with me for two reasons. Because I work as a paramedic and do I work as a, ther- as a therapist, which is kind of ironic because it's the exact same. It's, it's, it's the component I'm trying to push. Right. So I just have to be I feel like I have to be reminded on a daily basis that there is no stigma talking to this. I mean, we can about this. We can talk about diabetes. Right. Um, However, if you're depressed or anxious or, you know, have bipolar, schizophrenia, whatever it may be, and you have to go on medication, we're less likely to disclose that. And I would like I would like the. I would like it all to be on a level playing field and maybe in another generation it will be. Maybe. I don't know. It's it's hard, right? Because it's a little different in mm-hmm. certain regards. Um, and it depends. And it's like with anything, it, it depends on how you're addressing it. It is important, right? It's one thing to have a problem, address it, be pro or be proactive or reactive to solve the problem. It's another thing to use it as an excuse for behaviors or any or any life choices based upon those situations. Right. And Mm -hmm. and that goes with I think it happens less in the physical realm, but it more so in in the mental health side of things, I think. Right. Like you hear in in the physical realm, you hear all the time, like, I don't run anymore because my knees are bad. And you're like, well, that's the there's a small correlation there, but it's not like the, the correlation is that like, you don't like to run and you don't want to run. Like I've had bad knees since I've been 12 years old. Like my knees have been trashed and I run every day. You know I mean? It's the, that correlation's not necessarily there. I have to do other things to strengthen the area around my knees and I have to take actions because of my mm-hmm. poor, poor knee. It's a good analogy. Right. Like, but that, that, doesn't happen as frequently in the physical realm as it does with the mental side of things where it's like, I can't do this because of this other problem that I have. Mm -hmm. And I just, I want to, I I want, I want, I want to see that continuing to change. I mean, and 
it, it, if you go into a hospital, if you work in a hospital, if you're, you know, a patient in a hospital for mental health versus, um, physical health, the treatment that you receive is night and day. And I absolutely 100% believe that the psychiatric care that people receive in hospitals is shameful. It's literally shameful and it's disgusting on so many different levels. I mean, we are lacking providers, we're lacking beds, and it's not even just lacking the resources. It's lacking the education, the understanding, and the compassion that comes from that. And if you know, we go back to diabetes, if somebody was, let's say somebody was hypoglycemic, right? And typically if, when, when you're hypoglycemic, it can happen, your blood sugar can drop very quickly. I'm hypoglycemic, right? Um, and if it gets really bad, you, you, you're, you can be in an altered state. You can be violent. It's just night and day what I see happen, you know, to patients, right? And however, if that happens due to, let's say, schizophrenia, or, or bipolar, um, or dissociative disorder, whatever we're talking about, that same person is treated so differently. And it, um, yeah, it, it infuriates me and the people I work with, um, you know, my partners, um, and you know, the other, you know, the other people that are around me, I make sure that we are all educated and we understand, you know, what's going on and we have the necessary compassion to, you know, to, to just work with, you know, work with patients and their families appropriately, both at the therapeutic level and, you know, at the, at the first responder level. But yeah. And I, and I think in those cases, that's like, that's an, ex those are like extreme mental disorders, like schizophrenia, yeah. bipolar. Uh, well, disorder. I, mean, I mean, a lot of those things are on varying levels in people's like can be varying levels in people's life, right? Like mm -hmm. um, how extreme and how, I guess how um, different the chemical interactions in the brain work and how that manifests itself in a person's life, right? Like you were saying like with hypoglycemia, like you can become super angry and super aggressive when your blood sugar drops. Absolutely. No. Right. Um, but for someone else, it's hypoglycemic. They might not have that same extreme reaction. Right. So like someone that's schizophrenic might hear. And this, like I said, this is not my, this is more your realm of expertise than yeah. mine might hear voices, but the voices might not be as extreme as compared to someone else due to. Right. There's well, with all, with, with all disorders, um, psychological, medical, um, you know, there's a, there's a varying degree of severity. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's where it's hard to, in, in, when you're coming into a situation cold, it might be hard to address that initially. Yeah. In and life. on my watch, um, my patients are always shown dignity, even the ones, even the ones I don't like. And that is not, that is not an easy thing to do, especially when somebody is spitting at you or somebody's hurting, you know, somebody's trying to hurt you. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, so we, you know, we, we jumped into, you know, we jumped into the, the extreme end of it. It's just that, um, yeah, we, we need, we need to have compassion and I think we need to start treating, um, you know, treating mental illness like, you know, it, 
you know, pick, you know, pick a physical ailment, um, you know, like diabetes or cancer or, or, or something, um, whatever, you know, whatever allows that shift in our brains so we can show the compassion so we can learn, so we can understand a little bit better. I, I think that's true. I think, and I, I do think that outside of the heat of the moment, I do think that there is a better understanding and a better compassion towards mental illness. And like you said, like when we were growing up, right. Yeah. I mean, the fact fact that like state hospitals that used to just like ship people with like any mental disability to have Mm -hmm. a lot, a lot of times been shut down for whatever the reasons they don't exist anymore in that way. And the increase of group homes and individual workers, like uh, so that you have like a, a caretaker that works with a person as a mental illness so that they can be a productive member of society. That whole focus has kind of shifted a little bit. To to date myself and, and tell everybody how old I actually am, my very first internship, and this was for my bachelor's degree when I was in Austin, was at Austin State Hospital when when there were still when there were still state hosp- state hospitals. And I worked on the long term care unit. Um, with people that would live there the in, the entire you know their enti- throughout their entire lives, um, and I learned I learned a ton. I mean, there were a lot of you know I had one patient that had had a uh, he had fallen off a ladder. He was like a construction worker or something, and he had a frontal lobotomy, um, and. And, and, you know, it, it very, you know, varying other degrees of just mental illness that these people were never going to recover from. So they were there for life. And so I was probably, God, I was probably 19 at the time, maybe a senior in college. I'm trying and doing this internship. So I go to work during the day at my internship. And that night, of course, um, I go down to Austin and go to the bar cause that's what I did back then. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm walking down the street and one of my patients, um, one of my patients was on the street corner. Like this is somebody that was committed for life. And I, I, I stood there and, and I said to the person I was with, I was like, Oh my God, what that's, that's my patient. Like he, he shouldn't be out. What, what's going on? And Turns out that um, that he'd he'd basically escaped, and I, I and I was so young I didn't know what to do. I said, "Do do do I do anything? Do I do anything?" And fortunately, the person I was with was very smart, and he looked at me. He said, "You do absolutely nothing," and he goes, "You turn and walk the other direction." He goes, "This is a person that's committed to you know committed for the rest of their life to this facility, and they're out." So that means he's not on his meds and he's standing on the side of Stick Street in Austin um, doing very, you know, engaging in engaging in very weird behavior. And that was you, a that a big learning lesson for 19 year old Megan. You didn't get the giant net out and try and chase him down the street with a giant net. Like, no, like no, store. but I, I don't know, you know, but I just felt I just felt so helpless because I knew how sick he actually was and I knew how dangerous it was for him to be out and how dangerous it was for society for I, for him to be out. <laughs> um, I had a there's a, a program that helps people with um, mental health issues in Massachusetts known as ServiceNet. And I had a a really a, a good friend um, and he that was his his primary occupation for a long time. He's now 
a registered nurse, but prior to that, he worked as a basically a, a not a counselor, but as a, um, a helper at service. Like a, a tech, right? yeah, psych tech. And he, um, and he like you at different times. He's like lived with people with like mental illness and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that person had the most compassion and understood how to talk. That's a, that's a, I think a thing that a lot of people don't understand is how to talk to crazy people. And mm-hmm. I and I and I I, I know the term crazy might be slightly derogatory in this regard, but there's people with mental health issues, like there's different ways to approach different people with different mental health issues. And it's, yeah. it's not the easiest thing to be able to decipher and then discern what's acceptable to them as far as having a conversation and how to like react to their um, discussion points back to you, right? Like, like it's I, it's, it's yes. hard enough it's hard enough mm-hmm. for a lot of people to have a normal interaction with a normal human being right That's without <laughs> without feeling awkward and self-conscious and all that stuff and then you put that in a situation where the traditional reactions and interactions mm-hmm. don't happen and mm-hmm. you and people feel I mean it just that's part of the reason that people have I think a hard time and for you and for anybody listening, this is the this is a basic 101 on that. And you can think about it like somebody has a mental illness, somebody is neurodiverse, somebody is diagnosed with autism, somebody is drunk, somebody is high. Anybody with uh, um, an altered state or just a state of consciousness that is just a little bit different from yours, the first thing, you know, assuming the situation is not dangerous, um, you know, well, that's a different category. But the first thing that that I do and that I teach other people to do is you just hold space. So many times we get very nervous and we don't know what to say. So you tell me you're feeling really depressed. And what I don't want to do is come back with some bullshit response. It's going to be okay, Sean. Don't worry. Um, don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff. That's bullshit. And you're going to look at me and go, fuck you. Right. I mean, that's that when, you know, if you were depressed and anxious, all you have to do is listen. And it's almost the same thing. Pretend the person is neurodiverse. okay, Um, or nonverbal. You just hold space and pay attention. Um, One of my colleagues actually was telling me a story. Um, He's an EMT and a firefighter. I do believe he has a he has a child that uh, is diagnosed with autism, but he was dealing with um, an autistic patient. Um, we, you know, we'd gotten called and he said that every, the firefighters, everybody around him didn't know what to do. And what that means is if this, if this patient gets violent, they're going to end up being sedated, which is not, we don't want to do that. That's, that's last resort. So what this firefighter did is that autistic dental, the, uh, the gentleman with autism, was laying on the ground. So he just got on the ground and just laid with him. They just, the two of them laid there. And that was the beginning of a connection. It's, it's like learning another language, just depending on the severity of, of what's going on. And if we, like I speak English, you speak French. Eventually we would communicate in a manner, you know, whether it was hand signals or we realized you knew a couple words in English and I knew a couple words in French. 
we would find a way to get basic communication through. And it just takes patience. And it's it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be anxious because so many times, you know, people think, well, God, I don't, I don't want to make it worse. Okay. So just step back, pretend you're talking to somebody that doesn't speak your language and just start to learn their language. And this could be, this could be a spouse who's depressed. I mean, it could be, you know, an athlete that you're coaching that's depressed. It just takes a while. And even, even different people, different friends communicate different ways. And we just, you know, we just sort of learn and adapt to that, you know, mental illness or, or being neurodiverse is, is sort of, is sort of the same thing. You just have to step back, pay attention and put your own needs on the back burner, you know, just, just for a few, I mean, depending on how long the interaction is. I mean, it could be a lifelong friend. It could be someone that's just passing, you know, passing through your life you know, momentarily, not that hard. It's not that hard. I think we just, we get scared of what we don't understand. And, and that only heightens, that only heightens the situation and makes the other person more fearful. Right. And in certain situations, like um, emergency situations, it becomes a very stressful environment. And it's hard to detach from the stressful environment that you are in and the situation that is more stressful by dealing with someone that has a, an, an issue that you have to address, right? Like, and yeah, since, since COVID, um, the number of, the number of psychiatric calls that, um, that we've been responding to and also domestic violence, um, domestic violence went up in such a horrific way, uh, especially, you know, especially when we were all, um, when we were all homebound, uh, it, it was, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming even to me, the, the amount that, the amount that we were responding to because everyone was, even those who didn't suffer from mental illness, there was so much fear. We were all homebound. We were all locked down from this disease that we didn't understand. Uh, and, for those with, you know, for those with more severe issues, it it definitely came to a head very, very, very quickly. Well, I think even those without severe issues, mm-hmm. things things showed up that would have never shown, might not have ever shown up in any in their life in any mm-hmm. other regard, right? Like you bet. Um, the amount of like alcoholism that like the the rate in which that increased, like you said, the domestic. De- uh, Abuse cases. Um, oh, ODs too. I didn't mention that. <laughs> a lot more. A lot more ODs. Yeah, all that stuff due to the increased isolation and um, and it threw guess, it threw gas on a fire. And, you and, know? Men- and mental stress had already existed in our mm-hmm. lives. But I think what we one of the things we're going to be talking about, or at least we're going to be looking at, is how the how running and physical exercise can help alleviate or mm-hmm. in some cases eliminate that from your life. And one of the things that I want to take off the table because I think it's such a bullshit response is when we hear people say that we've replaced one addiction with another. 
for anybody who's suffered from mental illness and addiction, um, it would be really nice if we could cure it through running or cycling or surfing or climbing or fill in the blank. My God, that would make life so much easier. So let's just take that, that nonsense off the table because it's not replacing one addiction, um, one addiction for another. What we're trying to do is mitigate symptoms. So we, um, as humans can, can function in this world that we live in. And this is, this is a tough, this is a tough world right now. I mean, I, I stopped watching the news a, a while back. I mean, occasionally I scroll through, you know, news feed and stuff, or some, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I'm going to watch the news for the weather, which is so stupid because I can just get it right on my phone. But anyway, I, I opened my phone this morning and just looked at the news feed and I closed it. And, and I said to Bill, I said, oh, my God. I said, I'm not going to do that again. I mean, based on our news feed, we are doomed. And this world mm-hmm. is going to blow up. We're totally screwed. And this is why I don't watch the news. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, 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 not an, it's not an easy world today. No, it's certainly not an easy world today. Um, we live in a very dark time. And then... You talk about the news. I mean, they compound it by drawing likes from and, and drawing people's eyes by fear mongering, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the news is also a series of mini traumas that are never resolved. We you you watch the news and you see a little snippet of of what's going on and they present you with this horrible problem. And the next topic is blah, 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 or, and it's just, and then we sit there with this angst or this depression or this fear and it doesn't go anywhere. There's absolutely no resolution except the world's going to blow up and we're all going to die or we're going to die of monkeypox or, you know, pick, pick your, pick your poison for the moment. So it's, it's a lot of unresolved mini traumas. Correct. And your very small world that you are directly related to is probably not at all like the big world that you're looking at on the newscast. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I want to touch back on what you said about the replacing one addiction with another, because there is still an ability, even though it might not be replacing one addiction with another, right? Like, there is still an exercise dependency relationship that can happen for some people. So I think the word, instead of replacing, maybe we're, it would be more appropriate to say shifting uh, one addiction may, to another. Is that what you mean? Well, no, I just, it, it's, for some people, exercise dependency is an unhealthy habit in the same way as excessive. Oh, oh yes. Oh, I drinking. see what you mean. Oh, I misunderstand. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. like, so, I mean, for a lot of people, it is not replacing one addiction for another, but in some cases you might literally go from one addiction being out, let's say alcohol. I see what you mean. Right? Yeah. And then you turn it into for a, 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 a pseudo healthy experience that then becomes an unhealthy experience. Right. Um, just that like, sense. just like, I mean, most people can drink casually, but not all people can. Um, and and it took me years. Uh, God, it, it took me. Uh, 
I mean, maybe until this fixator was on my leg to, to some degree, but it took me years to understand. And again, being a competitive person, it this kind of hard, but maybe people that aren't competitive get this lesson easier than I did. But just understanding that when your body hurts, when you're in pain, you should stop. <laughs> like, and I don't mean discomfort. I mean, I'm talking about injury um, or, or just something's not right. Many years ago, I think when I was training for my first, um, my first few triathlons, I got to a point, so I was in my twenties and I was talking to my coach and I'm like, I don't know what's the matter with me. I said, I, physically, I feel fine, but I'm crabby. I feel like I want to kill everybody. I'm, I'm tired, but I can't sleep. And, you know, just listing all these symptoms. And he said, you're overtrained. He said, this is a classic symptom of overtraining. No coach had ever told me that before. And what this coach had me do, and it was really good timing because we were, we were leaving, we were leaving on a week, uh, Over, vacation. Overtrained is a, a, I, I don't like that. I don't think I, so, well, I was, I was, well, I was I, like in the middle of it and I needed, I needed to break. So all it well, was, all it took was a week. It right, was a well, week. That yeah. was, that was not overtrained that like overtrain, overtraining syndrome, right? Like which ex, exists will like completely screw up your hormonal balance. Oh, I've done that too. But I mean, but for, for years, like that's yes. not something that's Been recovered there. from in a you week. Bet. What we, I mean, what most people experience is a lack of recovery. Right. And, but this coach was really insightful at the time that the guy I was working with because he caught it for me at that point. Right. I was just, and, and he said, look, he said, go, you know, we were going up to Maine. He said, go up to Maine. He goes, swim, run, do whatever you want. Hike. He said, but you have no plan. He said, you just go up there. And if you want to sleep, you sleep. And it, it really only took me about like a week or two weeks to bounce back from that. And then I was 100%. Now, later in life, I've pushed through symptoms like that, just like you were talking about, and really screwed myself up, you know, where um, it caused issues like with autoimmune disorders and uh, hormonal issues. Oh, I, I am super stubborn and I don't learn. <laughs> I don't learn as easily as I should. I, I find that I just have continually taken the hard path. But yeah, I think if it's not addressed at that basic level, it can become systemic. And, you know, also you can, in so many other problems can, can happen that can take years to, right. to I, come back I, from. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, right. And I think the, I think it became very trendy to say someone was overtrained very quickly, at least in recent years, it seems like that is a very... So maybe you need to come up with a new word for us for that. Yeah, just recovery deficient. Yeah, it sounds, that sounds stupid. We need a but better it, one. But it, but it, <laughs> keep but thinking, it, keep processing it. it. Let me, you'll come up with something. Um, <laughs> recovery, de I don't know, but I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, but what I think going full circle to, to kind of that is um, when I was talking about like exercise dependency it's like you look at like I'm, I don't want to call it a high level social media athletic 
celebrity, but David Goggins is like an example of that, where his life is so rigid in the regards to exercise that all other things get pushed off to the side and will train through injury. And I mean, he can do what he wants. He's like, he's a big boy and he's an adult, but it's probably, there's probably a dependency issue there on exercise for self-worth and identity that doesn't necessarily make Oh, and I think, yeah, he articulates that very well. You know, I I mean, you bet. But I don't think that is, I don't think that's a healthy relationship with exercise. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, and I think if he were on, first he'd probably tell you to fuck off. <laughs> but, oh, I'm, but, I'm sure yeah, he would. No, I, I do what I'm I fucking want to do. Yeah, bitch. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I totally lost I totally lost my train of thought. But, um, yeah, <laughs> just calling you a bitch in the David Goggins voice made me, made me forget what I was saying. How, however, it – oh, that's what I was going to say. For him – I think he would just say it beats the fucking alternative, right? So it doesn't mean you're healthy. And and don't and I actually do like I actually really do like Dave, David Goggins, um, but it beats the alternative. However, you just have to ask yourself, and I'm sure he does every day. You know, but I ask myself, who do I want to be, and what is it going to take for me to feel comfortable in my own skin? Uh, and it's Boy, I have, I have lived this. I mean, having for for somebody who's very, very prone to addictions, um, that addictive personality, when not only running was taken away from me, you know, having this after the, after the bike crash, um, the fixator, I, you know, seven, eight different surgeries, uh, it, it, every, every, thing that I would become addicted to or use to not feel my feelings has been taken away from me. It, it, it's, it's left me in a place that I'm very grateful for. Now, I'm not grateful for the physical discomfort. If I can make it go away in a split second, I would. I'm not going to lie about that. But it's allowed me to be in a place where I'm working to be comfortable with who I am. And that's being comfortable in, in your own skin is a very, very tough thing. And it's also really tough just to say, I don't feel comfortable in my own skin today. It just feels weird. And let's just freaking go for a run or let's lift some weights or do whatever you need to, to make that feeling go away. And you could substitute, you know, alcohol, drugs, people, sex, gambling, spending money, eating, not eating. I mean, there's so many other substitutes that, that can be put in there. But for me, that avenue has been temporarily taken away. The, the ability to just go run my feelings away. Right. So, so I sit in them, you know, so I sit in them and actually feel them, which is not, not by choice. (laughs) Well, I mean, I suppose it is. I, I, I could always find an, I could always find an addiction to engage in, but I'm not today. (laughs) Well, so that's what I'm talking about, right? Like, I don't think, right. So being understanding, I guess, self, self understanding that you are not the activity you do. And I, and I tell people that, that identifying who you are by your activity is not, 
I don't think that's really like I am. I am not Sean the runner, right? Like I should be Sean is Sean. Like I'm a father. I'm a runner. I like Mm -hmm. coach. I have like there's multiple aspects of who I am and it should not be defined by the activity that I do, the action that I do. And that mental shift, I think, is important. On top of that, I think the idea that the only way that I will be comfortable is if I go exercise for X number of times. And if I don't exercise, then I, A, feel guilty, Mm -hmm. or I feel that I haven't earned something, or a lot of times, right, like you look into people that like have disordered eating and they're like, well, I need to exercise so I can earn this brownie or I can earn this meal. And those are like one of the things or people that have um, exercise disorders that are like, well, I have like a broken foot, but I'm still going to run anyways, Mm -hmm. or I'm still going to do whatever it is. You know what I mean? As opposed to. So imagine though, and and just taking, taking the choice, taking the, the opportunity to to recover, to heal, to become yeah. whole again. Now, given the way, you know, I know how you run. I mean, you and I, you and I train in a very, very similar manner. But imagine that, you know, put yourself in, in my shoes for a few minutes and over just imagine over five years that it slowly was, you know, chip by chip, just just taken away from you. And then if you were sitting in a place where you didn't have that opportunity to move, to process your emotions. Um, I, I don't, I'm struggling to find the language to describe how debilitating that actually is and was, um, to, to remind, you know, to remind myself and really having to learn at a, at a very deep level you know, emotional and physical level that my self-worth is not based on my mile time. Right. right? It, yeah, it's, it's something that I, I don't, I wouldn't wish it. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, even somebody, even somebody that I really hate. Um, we all need some way to process our emotions. And I think I was raised and maybe you were too, that, you know, physical movement, being outside, whatever, it is how we process our emotions. So I, I've been on the other side for for a few months when, because again, I, I could not, when the fixator was on my leg, I was not ambulatory without crutches or a walker. Um, I, I had to feel all that. It was, it, it changed me at a level um like, like almost dying in that bike crash. Like when I, when I almost died in the bike crash, there are certain lessons that I took away that will stick with me until the day I actually do die. And having that fixator on my leg and not being able to move also taught me some very, very, very deep lessons. Um, and again, I wish, I wish I were one of those people that could have learned it the easy way, but I didn't, you know, this is, this is my path. And um, I'm able to move again. And the difference with my training now, as opposed to a year ago is I, I won't run through pain anymore. 
emotional or physical. And that is so different from discomfort. Like discomfort, I totally welcome because that's how we, that's how we get stronger. I mean, even having this conversation, it's, you know, it's, it can be uncomfortable at certain levels, but it makes you and I stronger as people. And hopefully our experience, strength and hope helps others. Right. Um, but it's, it's another learning lesson. And I feel like, well, Jesus, aren't I, aren't I old enough? Like I've learned enough. I got enough character. I don't need any more lessons. I'm good. Like I just tap out. I want to, I don't want, I don't want any more of these lessons, but apparently I still needed it for, for some, you know, for, for whatever reason, who knows? No more chasing dragons. Yeah. I don't know that it was dragons that I was chasing. Are you chasing dragons? I don't know. Doesn't everyone do you, always, doesn't what do you chase? Doesn't what do you chase? Chase dragons. Sometimes they're windmills. <laughs> yeah, wow. windmills like Don Quixote in the windmill. That yeah. is there you go. <laughs> so, but <laughs> that I get. But we were when we were talking. So right, we were talking about this extreme dysmorphia. There's an addiction. There's um, there's a great documentary about Tony Hawk. Right, Tony Hawk. It, it's called Until the Wheels Fall Off, and he's and they're showing all the guys from the old, old Bones Brigade videos and if you're not familiar tony hawk is a professional skateboarder arguably the greatest skateboarder of all time created created skateboarding good is is really to the level it is now yeah i mean yeah created created art in the form of skateboarding that is probably never going to be replicated in that form again in that way again and still skates to this day um and Stacy Peralta created Bones Brigade, which was a group of very young skaters um, in the late 80s, early 90s, where they were going to competitions and whatever. And it kind of changed the face of skateboarding at that time. And then it faded again and then came back to resurgence with the X Games in the mid 2000s. Um, And in that time frame of like the late 80s and early 90s, Tony Hawk was a, a fledgling kid and coming up in the sport of skateboarding and really was just like pushing things. Anyways, fast forward to now, current time frame, and they had they had gotten together to do basically a remake of a video that they had shot back in the day. And they're all out there and they're skating on these ramps and doing these tricks that, you know, that they did when they were kids, like the older guys, like Steve Caballero was there and Mike McGill and Lance Mountain and Tony Hawk was there. And when Stacy Peralta was talking about these guys going out there, he's like, you see these guys get up there and they start to do a trick and it's just slightly off for them. And they know that they're not going to pull it and they, they bail safe. And Tony Hawk, no matter who he is, like cause of his, his the way he's wired will still go for it and ends up like friggin' in in this mm. video gives himself a severe concussion where like people like he was like laid out on the on the on the ramp and he's he's 55 years old right like damn near 60 years old and like still can't let it go mm. because of that like and that's like where the addiction issue comes in. And he's and he's talked about kind of having like because it had become his all in encompassing and created issues with 
he touches on it in the documentary issues with intimacy and relationships and other things. And, um, and that, and to this day, like it's, even though he's aware of it, it's still kind of a part of his personality. And that's, I think some people misinterpret exercises always being the answer as opposed to maybe there's other answers and other avenues and exercise can be detrimental. And it doesn't mean that it's always detrimental and it doesn't mean always pushing yourself is detrimental. It's just at times there's better options, I think. And you, you brought up um, for me, so Tony Hawk and, and at that level of, of skateboarding, like if you screw up, you can literally die. I mean, the stuff that they're doing. I mean, you or you could be severely paralyzed. I mean, really bad stuff can happen. It reminds me of um, Simone Biles in the last Olympics, right? When she pulled out. Yep. Do you remember that? And I, I think she in you know you can think of Naomi Osaka too. Recently, when she pulled a tennis player, um, when she pulled out of for a while, it, these these athletes that have come forward. Um, at least these two women were so they were get, I was trying to think of a nice way to say this, but they got a lot of shit for, for pulling out. And I remember when Simone Biles pulled out of the Olympics. First, I watch what these young women do. It is mind blowing to me. Right. And I think so. I heard Simone Biles was talking and she called, she said what she had was quote, the twisties. And I, and I'm not a, I, I'm not a gymnast, but it's when, you know, you're rotating up in the air and you lose track of where you are, probably similar to something Tony Hawk would experience. And if you, again, if you land wrong, you're going to die or, or severely hurt yourself. And, and it was, and she was saying that her, just the stress, um, her depression, um, her anxiety was, was really, was really triggering this. And so she pulled out, I thought it was a really amazing thing for her to do. And it showed how powerful and strong she actually is. I mean, excuse me, the amount, the amount of strength that, that it took to pull out of the Olympics. She's at the Olympics for crying out loud. And, And people were giving her a really hard time, but I'm like, if she falls, she can die. We're, we're not talking about like, you know, we're not talking about something that isn't, isn't physically demanding. And, but this is, this is the younger generation and even, even Naomi Osaka, you know, in those, in those press conferences, if you saw her at the tennis press conferences, she just looked like it was going to die. She was going to die. And at one point she looked at, I think it was her publicist and said, I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to lose it up here. I really need to leave. Yeah. And, and, and it well, just, it, it gives me chills for well, the, the power the, of these the thing, women. The thing about like Simone Biles, like you're saying, she didn't pull out cause it wasn't fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she pulled out because yeah. and that's what I was saying. Like with like Tony Hawk, like, like Stacey Peralta was explaining it. And like, he's like, you watch these guys and they realize that they're putting themselves in danger if they go for it and they'll bail. And Tony Hawk, may 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 realize it but he doesn't care he's going for it because he has to i wouldn't bail i mean years ago i wouldn't if that were me i get so focused and so driven um i miss the forest for the trees right and i get i 
I ran, I ran the hurdles. I ran the hurdles for many years and I really hurt myself one time. Um, and, uh, you know, I got back up and started doing the hurdles again. And I, you know, had a, had a severe injury in, in my elbow, you know, and I was told by my coach, keep running. You don't need your, you don't need your arms to run. Um, and, and it's, I think, so you, you know what I was saying about the, about when I, you know, took a week or two off from triathlon training because I was, I was really crabby and short with my family. I think that at a, at a higher level, that would be stage one, right? That would be stage one of burnout over training, whatever word, whatever word you're going to come up with, you know, for this. Um, and then we just keep pushing ourselves to such a level where you're at the, you know, Tony Hawk, um, Simone Biles level where you're literally risking your, your entire life to, to perform and, and to compete, so to speak. So I hope again, you know, that, that the younger generation keeps up with this and that the older people like us get a clue. (laughs) And this is where we start talking about it. And I know you do this and, and Sam, our other coach is the same way, but we really listen to our athletes. And if, if we have an athlete that is having a really hard day, I think we are able to really decipher like, like, is it, is it just a hard run that's happening or is, is it a bigger problem that, that one of our athletes is dealing with? And is it, is it a case of, you know what, it's, it's okay to cry on the trail. No one else is out there. Just finish your run or it could be, this is, this is just too much for today. Pack it up and go home. And that is, um, that's a, that's a tough call. I feel confident in making it. I would feel confident in you making that call and Sam as well. But for me and, you know, for, and for you guys too, it's taken years of experience for us to learn that. I don't know that I could have been coaching athletes and, and off, you know, and, and been able to decipher that kind of, or or make that kind of decision for them when they can't do it for themselves. If I was, you know, 18 years old or 20 years old in, in coaching. Yeah. I think in uh, one thing I'm going to say about this is, um, the reason, right. The, the Simone Biles thing, and I'm going back to that. Mm-hmm. The, the reason that it's, she, like she did the right thing, right? Like we don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what someone's personal opinion is. She, she did the right thing for herself. Now where people get, where it gets kind of screwed up and weird is that, right? Like Tony Hawk, if he wasn't who he was and wasn't willing to, to if he wasn't wired the way he was like that great art wouldn't have been created. Right. Like, and, and that's the same thing. So like when someone sees like Simone Biles, like pull out of the Olympics and her answer is that like she had, was having depression and mental health issues and couldn't lie and couldn't focus where they see on the other side of that is they see it as weakness without the understanding of why that is so triggering to them. And that gives them the thing is because on the other side of it, they automatically see that story that was like, 
while she was going through all this, she succeeded, she won, and it was greatness, right? So, like, right, that's, like, the two sides, right? Like, that's what I'm saying is, like, so for Tony Hawk, right, like, you see that, you see him, like, pushing that that greatness excel, right? Like, Van Gogh, right? Great artist, amazing artwork, mental, mental, I mean, even the, the, mm-hmm. the mental, mental asylum, right? So, like, mm-hmm. definite mental issues, a lot of, a lot of greatness and great art comes from mental dysfunction. And so, well, I think what you're describing is, is everyone is going to have a different tipping point, right? Like when, when is it, when do you reach that point? And it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be different for all of us. And I think that we don't, you know, there's the, there's a big misconception. I think that we, that one needs to be mentally ill in order to in order to produce this, this amazing art or athletic endeavor and excuse me, athletic endeavors, if I can say it. Um, I think that we're going to, we're going to get a lot more from that person as a human if, if they're healthy and, and that for some people, for some people, it can be just getting outside and breathing more fresh air. Other people, it can mean therapy. Some people need medication. Some people need long-term treatment. I mean, it's going to be different for everyone. And I wish that we could offer, you know, that we could offer a solution and this is when you need to stop or, or this is when you, this is what you need to do. I think the way we can get at that is by continually talking about it. And, and it, and it sucks. I, I, it absolutely sucks. I mean, the last thing I want to admit is I feel like crap and I feel weak and I feel absolutely worthless. I mean, I don't want to say that to anybody if, you know, if that's how I feel, but it's, it's crucial to, to my, to my being a human. And, and having a shared experience, you know, on, in this incarnation on this planet, we, we, we just need to keep talking about it. And then also the more we talk about it, like I could be having, you know, I'm, I'm in a pretty solid place now. I still have bad days. Right. So, you know, and I could, you know, all the people I talk to know, well, yeah, just, you know, just a bad day. It's going to be okay. But it, you know, but at different places in my life, let's say 10, 20 years ago, when, when something, you know, really challenging was happening. That's when a lot of people, you know, called me out and said, you know, maybe you do need therapy or maybe you do need to go on medication or, you know, have you considered, you know, have you considered X, Y, and Z? And I think that's why if, if you have one person, one person to talk to, that's, that's a start. And if you don't have that one person, I know it sounds goofy, but people complain about social media, but there's a number of groups online for people with, people with addictions and, you know, people that run with addictions, people, you know, that surf, um, you know, that, that, um, you know, that suffer from depression and anxiety. I mean, there is a community, I think for everybody out there. I think one of the largest things in involved with, or in that should be included in any form of recovery is the uh, fellowship side of things. And I think that's, yeah. I think when you know, Right, we were talking about the isolation from COVID and stuff like that. When you know that you're not alone, that there's other people that experience this, there is a certain certain amount of comfort in that. And I think there's there's community in that. And if you are willing to put yourself out there, which is really the 
fucking hardest part is being willing to Absolutely. put yourself out there. Um, you will likely find that you're not alone in whatever regard that is. Um, and so that's, I think that's the hardest part um, in dealing with that stuff um, is putting yourself out there. And, and if somebody comes up to you and, and starts talking about, you know, depression, depression, eating disorder, addiction, and you don't know what to do, okay, <laughs> you know, right. What I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast, just hold space. Don't say things just to say things. I, I, un, oh, you know, this, that sounds really hard or just simply, I believe you. That's, that's a big one. So many people are afraid of somebody telling them that this isn't real, that they just need to buck up, um, that they need to be tougher. Just, I believe you, that must be really hard. Some people need to be told, I believe you, that must be really hard, but you also need to buck up. That too. And, and, <laughs> and bucking up can, can mean, again, different things for different people. That may mean treatment. That yep. may mean putting down the sugar. That's, that's a big one. Um, putting down alcohol, drugs, um, or, you know, leaving, maybe you shouldn't be with the partner that you're with. Maybe you're with a partner that is absolutely just horrible and you don't know how to, it, there's so many things that can, that can agitate, you know, agitate somebody into a really bad space or just, you know, just make it worse. So uh, bucking up doesn't mean that you just trudge forward. Sometimes it means you make a hard life choice for the better. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's what it really means. I mean, yeah. um, so that's all the, I mean, we kind of got on a very negative, uh, connotation of, I guess, exercise and stuff, but there is a lot of mental health benefit that comes from running and from it has, physical. Health. I'm going to say it's literally saved my life. I, I do believe that running running has saved my life and the opportunities that I've had, um, the people that I've met. Uh, yeah, prob- it's it's been one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given to allow me to allow me to to be a decent person. <laughs> you know? it, that doesn't I have to I, I have to work to be a good person. I know I don't I don't think it it doesn't come naturally, but I I really do. I really do try. So I had like in in preparation for this uh, podcast, I done a little bit of research there and um, there was basically a meta analysis um, by the Edinburgh School or the University of Edinburgh. And um, several researchers kind of did a meta analysis of. I think that was like, let me see. Uh, well, over their database, they had found like 32,000 studies essentially on um, running and the mental effects of running. And then kind of out of that database, they wheedled it down to like 116 or 120 studies that they could pull from that didn't specify like out elite athletes and it was non non gendered non race non location like so it was the broadest spectrum of human beings involved and the numbers of um people basically the long and short of it is that their their findings came to that overall mental health is improved 
by like about 20% compared to the base level norm of um, not non-physical activity people, like people not performing any physical activity. And this is just in the specifics of running, right? So as opposed to any physical activity would be uh, addressing a lot of those needs. So, it, On a on a healthy level, not, not dysfunction movement helps me process my emotions. I'm not, um, I'm not really big into sitting meditation. Um, I, I find a lot of, I find a lot of peace, even if I'm not exercising, I work out in my yard all the time. It's one of my favorite things to do, but I like to go out in my yard and just move you know, just move, you know, and I'm, you know, whether I'm weeding or moving rocks or I'm always rearranging. I always have some project that I'm working on back there, but just the, the benefits of getting outside and getting your hands in the dirt, getting dirty, right? We're a society that I don't think, well, many of us, um, many of us don't, don't actually get dirty (laughs) as, as, as people anymore. And I think that's, I think that's important. We we have to somehow connect to to nature and to dirt and you know being outside. Um, we have a great big beautiful world out there that needs to be experienced. That is a true statement. And there's uh, further research here. I'll read this uh, without sounding uh, with. Hopefully, uh, one area we've been looking into is scans of people who engage in aerobic activity like running. Uh, and how it affects the hippocampus. The hippocampus is really important for emotional processing. If you look in conditions like dementia, cognitive impairment, even depression, this area of the brain shrinks. It has been shown time and time again that medium term, 12 to 16 weeks, you can get an increase in the volume of the hippocampus through running, but also in the short term, after just 10 minutes, you can get a real spike in electrical activity and emotional processing center of the brain. And I'm going to say for anybody who doesn't believe that, try it. Go outside for 10 minutes. Even if if, if you can't run, walk. <laughs> if you don't feel like walking, go sit in a chair or go sit in the grass for 10 minutes and see if you feel better than than you did 10 minutes ago. I Well, that, it, that was one of the other aspects of it is uh, in the studies was whether it was more beneficial to be outside versus on a treadmill in forms of aerobic activity and the outside activity is higher like had higher, um, greater effects than the, uh, inside activity. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so important to view exercise as a piece of the puzzle to, to, to remaining or becoming a whole human being that may mean, you know, for, for some people, you know, they can just get outside and exercise and, and great. That's, that's what keeps them healthy. Other people will need to exercise, get therapy. Um, maybe they're on meds, um, or, you know, other people have to, you know, put down the substance or the person or, you know, whatever they're addicted to. It's going to look different for different people, depending on what you're suffering from, but it is such a crucial, it is such a crucial, um, part of, I just keep saying like being a good human, <laughs> being, you know, feeling comfortable in your own skin. Well, and that being is a, that's being tough. A, a well-rounded human, right? Like well-rounded human. There you go. That's, was, that's a better way and, to say it like that. And just, just to like clarify aerobic activity is not necessarily running, right? It's anything mm-hmm. that is raising, really raising your heart rate above baseline. 
Raking does that to me. <laughs> so, so I was raking you, out my bushes. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> I mean, I've, you, uh, anecdotal evidence. Like I've seen, um, I remember there was a podcast they did on, um, I think it was on the the race, the 100 miler Cruel Jewel. And they were like, has anyone done this with less than 50 miles of training a week? Which, running a, a 100 miler with less than 50 miles of training at all in your training plan is pretty ridiculous. That's, that's a very low volume. Um, and the, I think he, the, the third place overall or third place male runner that year had done less than 50 miles per week volume in his training. But there's a big caveat, but he was essentially a farmer. So mm, he worked, yeah, he worked, there you go. So he did aerobic activity all day long, plus ran, right? So like, but that's what I'm saying is like he was outside just doing work. He was he was working. Um, so any any aerobic activity is 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 good and beneficial to your soul. And and it's for those of us in cold temperatures, it's that can be really hard. You know those those like dark months of winter are brutal, and that's where for me exercising, you know, exercising in my basement. Um, has you know absolutely saved me. Yeah, vitamin vitamin D and exercise in the basement if you have to. Mm -hmm. If you if you can get out and get any sunlight on your on your skin and produce some natural vitamin D, it'll it'll help. Yeah. And cold, we talk. I talk about it um, with some of my friends. I don't know what people that live in the Northeast do all winter if they don't per if they don't participate in any form of outdoor winter activity, if they don't snowshoe, cross-country ski, downhill ski, snowboard, I don't know how they manage the... They go to the gym. I mean... <laughs> go to the gym, go to yoga classes, um, you know, stuff, just indoor stuff. I mean, e even, yeah, I guess you can do that, but I'm talking about the people that don't do anything, right? Like, oh, they're, yeah. they're, right, like, a lot how of people... Manage. A lot of people are more active in the summertime anyways. They like go up, go on hikes and whatever the case may be just naturally because it's more comfortable. But when it turns wintertime, they, they hibernate and I don't know how they, how they manage no, that. No, I'm, I'm just as, I'm just as active in the winter as I am in the summer. Um, I, I've mentioned the only two things that stop me are lightning because, you know, we discussed in the prior podcast that I have been struck by lightning um, and ice uh, because obviously I've, taken a big tumble and turned myself into Humpty Dumpty getting put back together again. So, um, so I, um, ice and lightning, those are my, those are my tap out moments, but that's why we have, that's why we have, you know, what we have in the basement. And even if you don't have exercise equipment at home, I mean, I taught a class, I taught a fitness class many years ago and I did this at fleet feet in West Hartford and it was strength training um, for those who have no equipment. And so what I did was we would go out in the parking lot and I would just figure out a strength training class based on what we had outside. So there was like, you know, there was a curb, you know, we could we could use. There were there were different walls. There's so much um, there's so many things you can do, even if you don't have equipment and with our athletes, I mean, I know we ask our athletes, obviously, what equipment do you have access to? And that's what we work with. I rarely, I can't say that I've ever told an athlete, you have to get this equipment. 
like you have to be doing this because if they don't have heavy weights at home, you know, we'll just, we'll figure it out. There's, there's always, you know, there's always another way. Um, yeah. In regards to that, I've, I, I give my, I prescribe a lot of my athletes at different times in their training, essentially heavy sandbag carries. Right. Mm. That's, that's right. But I tell them, I'm like, do you have like a big bag of dog food? Do yeah. You have, a bag, a big bag of rice. Do you have a big rock in your backyard? Something that's awkward and that you have to move and that yeah. requires full, full body control to do. That's, that's heavy. That's yeah. And it's, and it's cheap. And you know, most people have this type of stuff at home. So, right. so you can, you can make, make do with what you have. Hey, we circled back to the Rocky thing. Like remember when Rocky was working out hardcore? See, see you in this eighties montage, you, you were onto something. That's that's gonna be your make me because I'm, Rocky I'm won. A, I'm gonna have to do a promo with me <laughs> putting an '80s montage together. Okay, you hang out the window. I will hold your legs, and you can do your sit-ups. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, you might drop me. I'd totally not drop you. I wouldn't drop you. <laughs> might be on purpose, Megan. Trust me. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I think if you are a person that is listening to this and is having some issues with depression or other mental health issues, I think running in aerobic activity, like I said, it, a ten minute interval will help help clear your head, help you make you make you feel better if you can incorporate that into into your lifestyle. And I don't think 10 minutes is too much to ask of anyone. I have one athlete that I was working with and she used to, she used to take dance breaks and she found these videos on, on YouTube. They were so funny. And, and I watched them. I have actually, I actually did a couple of these videos with my girls and we laughed so hard, but you know, she, she suffered from depression and anxiety and throughout the day, she would just turn on one of those YouTube videos. And it was like a 10 minute instructional, you know, just, just dancing and just moving. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be running. It doesn't have to be anything. It's, you know, whatever works for you, that's, you know, going to allow you to stay whole and stay healthy because the mind and the body are absolutely 100% connected and they are one, they are not separate entities and they work together. But you do have to make the effort to make that connection. Well, that's, that's the hard part. When you're in a really deep depression or addiction, the last thing you are able to freaking do is get outside and go running or get up and go dance. It's sometimes, sometimes medication and treatment is needed just to get somebody up to a level point where they can go outside and walk. So if you're hearing this and you're like, you guys are idiots, there is no way in my deep depression. And, And one of the things that I watch for as a clinician when, when patients suffering from mental illness are, are put on medications and they begin to get better, so they're pulling out of the deepest, darkest hole, that's when they're at higher risk for suicide. And it sounds counterintuitive, but when you are that depressed and that sick, um, you 
don't have enough energy to even kill yourself. I know it sounds horrible. So we really are very careful with patients who have been medicated for a while and are beginning to feel better because they're getting up and about. And also that medication and the therapy has subsequently allowed them to start feeling their feelings. The things that, you know, maybe in causing you know, contributing in a major way to, to said mental illness. So there's, there's many stages to this. Um, but just because you start taking medication or just because you start running, doesn't mean you're going to feel better. It's just giving you an opportunity to process emotions. And what I think of, I've, I spent so much time in the ocean. I always think of emotions like waves, right? Sometimes you just walk you know, into the ocean and you unintentionally just get slammed by a wave. You have no control over it. Right. And you get, you get knocked down, right? But it drags you in, you know, it drags you in to the shore and you get up and you're like, oh, I feel better. So, so in normal life is just an ebb and a flow, right? Our emotions, they come and they go and sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. We, the difference is when they're good, I think we expect the good to always stay that way, right? We forget that there is that there's bad out there too. And it's all, it's all temporary. The only thing constant in life is the fact that everything changes, right? So it's, for me, it's just riding that wave of emotion in, processing it sometimes by myself, sometimes with other people, sometimes with outside help, but it, it, that you can't, you can't have a fist fight with the ocean. You're going to lose. Right. That is true. I think, um, I want to say, and it, if I'm mistaken in who it is, there's there's a very famous ultra runner, and, and I think it's Tim Olson has spoken pretty publicly about his um, issues with depression. Are you thinking of Rob Carr in the video that maybe he put out? Maybe is it, Rob, it is Rob Carr. Yes, you're yeah, correct. He, and this yeah. was like five years ago, six years ago, and he really opened up the discussion. He, yeah. I mean. He, people weren't talking about this until he, he put that video out. Yeah, because he because he would literally he would be so depressed that he would essentially lay in bed for like three or four days with yep. like, um, and then would be able to process by by essentially running and stuff like that. And I think mm-hmm. he where we were talking about that like where it becomes like an unhealthy relationship with exercise to full circle to what is probably like a healthy relationship with exercise. I think Rob Carr is kind of like shown that where he's like had depression issues and had to like try and mitigate that and exercise kind of proved to be a way to alleviate some of that for the most part. And then it became an unhealthy pursuit in and of itself where it mm-hmm. caused, caused breakdowns and issues and compounded some problems to where I think he is now um, as a runner and as a person where he's kind of does it because he enjoys it as opposed to feeling like he's forced to do it or he has to do it to maintain um, whatever his, his, his fitness or not his fitness, but his um, well-being, his, his person at like to, to be who he is. Like he is not, he doesn't have to be Rob Carr, the runner. He can be, he can, be Rob Carr, the person that likes to run. It runs. Yeah. You know what um, I mean? Sean, we should put that, we should put that video in the show notes. That was a good one. That was a good yeah. video. 
Yeah, that's that's good. I'm glad you remembered who it was because I was trying to think, and I was thinking it was Tim Olson, but Tim Olson had some other addiction issues. He's also, yeah, yeah. he's also been been very public about his struggles. Yeah, um, but his have been uh, alcohol, I think, and drug dependency issues, mm. um, and I think maybe drug dependency and not alcohol. But that's neither here nor there. And he was also same same kind of cycle where you like turned it all internal into running and athletics, and then. Um, has now kind of come full circle, and he's very big into meditation and yoga as well as running to balance out his life. Well, when you know, when my dad was on a couple podcasts ago, we you know we talked about this, and he said that you know way back when when he was training, all they did was run. Right. That's it. That's it. And I think the difference with with training today is we we really mix it up. There's a lot of cross training. Um, there's a lot of um, you know, self-care. There's it's it's just it's just different now, and things are changing. And it'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, 50 years from now, what's yeah <laughs> they're going to look at us and be like, oh my god, you guys did what? <laughs> um, it, it's I, I think it's it's getting better. We have so so much ground to cover and we have so much to do in this realm. And again, it's, it's literally my life's work. It is, it is my passion. It is, um, it's, it's what, um, it's what, it's what I love to do, but we're still, we're still taking baby steps. So we got to just keep talking about this stuff. I mean, and get this, out and move, <laughs> get out and move. All, all this being said, we are, um, at least a lot of us are, ultra distance runners and it's probably not the healthiest of pursuits involved in running. Um, I mean, people think, people think we're crazy, but okay. You it's, I almost think like, really, you want to see the alternative? This is, this is not crazy. I mean, maybe the only thing that's crazy about me is I, um, sort of got a little Popeye thing going on where I am who I am. This is, this is it. And the me that shows up here is, is the me that, that shows up on an ambulance. And this is the me that, that shows up, um, in my private practice. And this is who I am, you know, as a friend and as a parent, I, I don't piecemeal myself like I did many, many years ago. Right. And I, and I do think, um, I think being who you are and you, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with wanting to pursue, high level achievements, whether it be summoning Everest or running a hundred miles or running 200 miles or, um, doing Ram, which is, you know, ride across America or, um, you know, what, whatever high level achievement someone wants to strive for that they may sacrifice some physical well-being to achieve does not necessarily negate a, um, a mental disorder with exercise. Yep. But it can. That's the mm-hmm. that's the other side of things. Is you and you have to you have to look at it and be self-aware and look internally to I think what your motivations are for wanting to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And as we as we wrap up, I think for for anybody listening to this, if you're struggling it, well, let me say, if you're struggling, period, okay, if you're struggling with anything, um, just make sure you're talking to somebody. It could be a friend, a spouse, um, a medical professional, um, 
a, a clinician, uh, whatever, whatever works for you. If you don't have that person or that person is not serving you, find somebody who actually will hear you and will believe you. And again, if you can't find that person, there's two people right here that you can reach out to us. We're, we're all over social media. We're not hard to find. Um, we will listen and we will support you. But I think the takeaway from this podcast is this is not something that should be, you know, suffered in silence. There's so many great things we can do to, to make ourselves whole human beings and well-rounded. And if you are having trouble doing that, reach out to us. We're here. We'll, you know, we'll help you, or we can put you in touch with, um, somebody who will. Right. I, um, I am not a clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist. So I, uh, will gladly put you in touch with a professional if need be. I will hold space with you. I will listen to you, but I will uh, not be able to really provide you any other help other than that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So um, as we close, um, we um, would like to encourage you to share this podcast. Um, if you If you know somebody that that would be interested in this podcast, please feel free to share it. Um, you can listen to this podcast on pretty much any medium that that's available. Uh, if you want to follow our podcast, that's great. And even better if you want to write a review, as long as you like us, if you don't like us, don't write a review. We don't want to hear that. (laughs) Um, but seriously, you know, if you want to write a review, that's, that's great. If you have comments, if you, um, if we made a mistake or we said something in error, um, it's never intentional. We're just, we're just who we are. We're humans. We make, we are, we are, we are. I've, I've tried to overcome the humanity, but it, but it hasn't happened yet. So, uh, Sean, we are going out with a song today. What song are we listening to as we so go out? We're listening to In the Mirror by The Interrupters. And um, Amy Interrupter wrote the song. It, it's apropos to what we were talking about today. It's really about um, her growth as a person and being comfortable with who she is and kind of her dealing with, uh, I guess, depression and, and, and some mental angst that comes with I guess being a person that's being a person and so it's in the mirror by the interrupters no matter